Good morning, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Medic Mornings. I'm your host, Fiona, and today I'm joined by two very special guests. Hi, everyone. I'm Chloe, and I'm a second-year medical student at the University of Exeter, and one of the co-hosts of a podcast called Very Junior Doctors. Hello, I'm Marvel. I'm also a second year student at the University of Exeter and I'm also a co-host of Very Junior Doctors. Thank you for being here today. I know you're both incredibly busy. We have a few questions asked by you guys. Here we go. The first question is by someone who asked, do you need to buy a stethoscope before you start medical school? And if so, which one? So I suppose every budding aspiring medical student, once they get the offers, they're super keen to buy their stethoscope. And I definitely know I was one of those um, very keen medical students to be. But in answer to your question, I'd say it's very dependent on your medical school and the curriculum at your medical school. And in terms of how early or how late into the curriculum they will be using a stethoscope. So in my personal um, situation, I bought a stethoscope a couple of months before I went to medical school. And usually uh, medical students have the Littman's Classic 3 model. Um, and that's one that you'll see commonly on the wards. And just in general, you used to be honest everywhere that you go. Um, and your type of stethoscope um, can be your preference. And again, I say just have a check in medical school because some I would have thought would say which ones to buy. But obviously, check out all the details before you buy because they are quite expensive. Stuff, yeah? <laughs> Very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it's always worth them um, having a bit of info before you invest. But on a positive note, they are very much worth the investment and you do look super cool when you start in medical school. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, piggybacking of what Chloe said. Um, usually during Freshers Week, you will get lots of discounts and potentially you could get a discount on a stethoscope. So if you wait a while, um, again, like Chloe said, depending on your curriculum before getting a stethoscope, you might be able to get yourself um, a cheaper one or um, one with a discount for uh, medical students. But uh, yeah, again, I got my stethoscope a few months before starting medical school because I was so eager. But then once we actually started, a good amount of our curriculum doesn't really rely on stethoscopes. And the ones that do, um, we're already given stethoscopes by the medical school just used temporarily. So it's, yeah, um, well, for Exeter um, specifically, it's not a hard and fast rule to get a stethoscope before starting. But yeah, it's just based on your curriculum, really. Amazing. I just wanted to ask what books would you suggest getting? Because some people are like, no, your professors are going to recommend you some. And some people swear by the Oxford Handbook. So what's your consensus? So for books, what I would say is, it very much depends, again, on your curriculum. Um, But for my piece of advice would be, mainly stick to digital stuff, mainly well, for two reasons, really. One, it's portable. So if you have digital textbooks, you can just take it anywhere with your laptop, with your phone, anything. And two, it's easy to access as well. Um, so if you are potentially on like a ward round or you're on a placement, or even if you're in lectures and you want to quickly look up a piece of information, it's very hard to go to get, you know, get a heavy book out, try and look at specific pieces of information, potentially not find it. I currently have the 
essentials of clinical medicine. It's Kumar and Clark's and so many like study YouTubers recommend it. Um, I would very much say that it's the digital version is a lot more useful to me uh, compared to the like the physical version, mainly for practicality reasons. It's really small, but it's also quite heavy. So carrying it in your bag is quite a bit of an inconvenience. And also the pages are really like tightly bound together. So when you're looking for information, you really have to like rip open the book. <laughs> So yeah, that's what I would say. Um, Kumar and Clark's is probably the best resource you could use for uh, clinical situations and also past medicine. That's really good for exam prep. So yeah, Chloe is really agreeing. All of our year group basically use it for years one to three. And then they've also got um, applied medical knowledge preparation as well with a textbook attached to it. So that's what I would say. Yeah, Kumar and Clark's and then past medicine are my two go-to like medical resources in terms of textbooks. Yeah, I totally agree with Narble. I think if you can go for digital materials, and I think that sometimes it's always worth waiting to see what the med- medical school that you're going to will say, but also their libraries have an extensive amount of books and all kinds of journals and so forth, which are really expensive. And so it's always worth waiting and seeing what you're actually going to learn as well, because some things that you purchase you may not learn for, I don't know, six to 12 months starting so it's always worth waiting and seeing I think okay our second question is by someone who asked is it as toxic and competitive as everyone says I think from a very pre-medical standpoint I feel like you're in a room with people who are very type a personalities you know everyone's very competitive they're highly academic tell us a bit more about the competitive nature in that regard um, this is such a really good question. I think it's really important. I think the actual application process for medicine itself is very competitive and you're stuck in the mindset that you're always going to need to reach the next hurdle. We're going to have a herd of people trying to get the same hurdle at the same time. I think that in itself can be overwhelming. So when you start medical school, you're thinking, oh, I've actually got you. What's going to happen? And I think in terms of competitiveness, I haven't really seen it as much as I would have thought. Um, I think when people are in the same situation as you and you're thinking, oh, I have actually gone into medical school, this is a really big shock to me. Because a lot of medical students, believe it or not, can't believe that they're in such a privileged position as they are in. And I think we see our peers more as companions and more of a family so in extra for example we do a lot of small group teaching and once you get to know the people in your small group they are like your extended family when you're away from home and when people are doing really well in exams or really badly they're always there to support you I think it'd be all well and good for me to say the positives of competitiveness in med school but you can get sometimes the odd situation where there is a bit of competitiveness and like when you get your results back from, I don't know, Oscars and um, AMKs that we do in Exeter, people are like, oh, what did you get? What did you get? And that's like a natural post-exam sort of thing. Um, but not as bad as you would imagine. When you referenced the hurdle, I was 
literally about to like think oh it's going to be people who are tripping you up and just like sabotaging you giving you the wrong past papers or something but I'm so glad to hear that it's not as competitive as I would have thought uh, what's your experience Nabil? Yeah like what Chloe said um, when first applying to medical school and getting into medical school there's usually that preconception that you know it's really competitive and everyone's there to you know you know trip the other person over and trying to be the best and everything but once you actually start you realize it's a really hard degree and like you've already got enough on your plate anyway trying to balance studies extracurriculars anything else you do on the side jobs stuff like that so you really don't have like you know it's not worth you know, tripping other people up. And for a lot of people, it's just not worth the time and the effort just being toxic with your peers because, you know, you've got your own problems to worry about. So I think next to, like Chloe said, your like the group-based learning definitely helps create that environment which is more supportive rather than toxic and it just allows you to kind of you know piggyback off of each other's ideas and study resources and everything like for example in our study-based groups we're 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 not forced but (laughs) we're encouraged to share the resources that we use to answer questions with one another so it already creates that atmosphere of you know sharing and of collaboration and of creating this nice you know this nice working environment where you don't feel like you constantly have you know negative forces being applied to you when you're revising it's more just oh how can we help one another and like and to to continue like um answering your question with is it as toxic as everyone says you do get instances like Chloe said of potential you know you know you get that competition but you get that competition because the caliber of people who are applying for medical school I was discussing this with my professor the other day and um, he said you know the type of person that applies to medical school is high achieving anyway because it's really hard getting into medical school they're also they also tend to be perfectionists as well so it's it's less of a toxic environment towards other people but more toxic towards yourself because it's very easy to fall into that pitfall of am I good enough there's a lot of imposter syndrome we mentioned that in a few episodes in Very Junior Doctors of the dangers of of um, imposter syndrome and what effect it can have on your mental health in medical school. So I would say the toxicity really comes from the self rather than from other people. And that's just mainly due to the disposition of people who are applying for medicine anyway. <laughs> Sorry, that was a very roundabout way. No, of- <laughs> it's all right. I, I feel like that was a really good way to put it. It's like everyone has so much on their plate that they just mm. cannot be bothered to like (laughs) mess with anyone else so that ties in with my next question from someone who asked what was the biggest difference between your expectations of entering med school when you were doing a level and the actual experience here I think that's a way of saying is it as hard as people think (laughs) (laughs) this is such a hard question um okay so I think yeah, expectation versus reality is always one of those things that everyone's interested about. And I think in a level or your presumptions before you actually start medical school, just as anybody really, you just think, oh, medicine, it's a big degree. It's being put on this pedestal. And we see it from like our friends and people who we meet when they say, oh, what do you study? Oh, we study medicine. Wow. And you, and you get a different reaction to like any other subject and I think in A levels in particular my idea was that oh yeah medicine's a big degree and 
people who are having three A stars achieving three hundred thousand plus on their UCAT. It's not actual score, but we'll go. With it. Yeah, it's that sort of mindset, and you're thinking, oh well, imposter syndrome creeps in. Think, oh, they must be working twenty four seven, don't get any breaks. They must be on high stress alert. And <laughs> reality is very, very different. I agree that, yes, medicine is a hard degree and it's undoubtedly a very challenging degree, but it depends on the way that you handle it. So our curriculum at Exeter gives some self-directed learning time. So we have our set lectures and our set timetable, but then we have the time to do what we want with the time that we got. So some people prefer to work later in the evenings so people go out in the day perhaps for a couple of hours for a walk or go to the gym or to their weekly shop and that's such like a coping mechanism that people use for medical school and I think when I started medical school and actually seeing what the curriculum was like I did get a bit overwhelmed at the start because it's all these preconceptions and then you actually see it and it's like wow it's a big curriculum it can be a lot to take on board because you're getting bombarded with so much anatomy and biomed and clinical stuff and you're thinking, how can I keep up? But I suppose once you get into the routine of things and you start to get a grasp on what you're actually learning, it really, really helps. And I think the consumption that, oh, you're, you haven't got no time to do your hobbies, which you once did in A-levels, again, that's not true. You actually do. And I'm a very big advocate, so is Novel, of extracurricular activities within in medicine. And one way that I used to do extracur- extracurricular activities this year and last year was through society events. And sometimes it's all about planning your day out and making sure that you have, say, an evening off to go and do a society event or a couple of hours in the day. So, like, for example, today... I had my teaching this morning and then I went to a regular Monday afternoon event that I go to for a couple of hours every week because that's my way of relaxing. But I think when you actually go to medical school and experience it for yourself, it is completely different to what you expect. Have you ever gotten it like, are you doing medicine as in like a patronising way? Um, no, no, I haven't. Um, as far as I can recall. But it's always been sort of the situation where you're in a conversation and they're like, oh, I study this and that. And they'd be like, oh, what do you study? And I'm like, oh, I'm a medical student. And they'd be like, oh. The conversation just ends there. I know nothing about it. <laughs> it's literally, oh, you must be working 24 hours a day. And I'm like, no. <laughs> it's like so far stretched from like what they think it is. And it's just completely different. How about you? What What do you think you're expecting? <laughs> oh well when you asked have you been you know asked in a patron I, I was shaking my head yes. <laughs> yeah a few times I've you know I've had conversations where I've said I'm doing medicine now and like I've been really excited about it and then a lot of people are like oh you're doing med like you are doing medicine and I don't want to pin labels on anything but a lot of it I think is based in misogyny as well because whenever you tell as a woman, whenever you tell someone, oh, I am doing a healthcare profession, a lot of the time, I, I'm not saying all of the time, but a lot of the time, it goes straight to, oh, you're doing nursing. And there's, this is in no means to discount the value of nurses or to undervalue them in any way. But it is very much entrenched in misogyny that, you know, oh, a woman can, you know, 
do medicine they they have to be doing nursing or they have to be doing an allied profession for um the amount of times I've like I don't know been in a placement or something and I'm wearing scrubs so I'm wearing the green scrubs so the uniform of the medical students and <laughs> I'll have people saying oh so you're doing nursing here this is a nursing placement I'm like no <laughs> no it isn't but um a lot of people on the internet as well um make assumptions so I get a lot of um I'm saying I get a lot of like the famous influence. I'm not. <laughs> I do get DMs where they're like, "Oh, um, oh, you're doing nursing. Can you tell me about that?" I'm like, "No, I- I'm not doing nursing. I'm actually doing medicine." So it's, it's there are assumptions that are made. Um, and like going back to your um, question about di- expectations between uh, entering medical school and then being in medical school, I would say for me, Chloe and I are quite different in the way we function. So I remember Fiona, I was mentioning this. I mentioned this a few weeks ago where I said, I like chaos in my life. So <laughs> may not be the best kind of lifestyle to promote to aspiring medics. But... I love revising 24 <laughs> seven. <laughs> like I, I very much like that. I get a lot of freedom to basically structure my own, you know, my re- revision timetable, the time I spend doing lectures. No one day is the same for me. And I really enjoy that. Some people would find that like Chloe's shaking her head right now. But like, I agree. I agree. I agree. Oh, yeah, nice. Oh. But a lot of students, you know, really like that schedule. I've got a few friends who who need to run on a schedule in order to function properly. And 100%, if that's the way you work, that's the way you work. You know, everyone's very unique in the way that they that they get through med school. But I really like that I don't have a structure. And, you know, at some point, I, I don't know, at like nine o'clock at night, I'll feel like, you know, doing a pass paper. Or I don't know, I'll get up really early at seven in the morning. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll edit an episode of Very Genie Doctors or something like that. I think <laughs> for me, it's me convincing myself that, oh, when I actually do apply, for, when, when I do start placements, it, no one day is going to be the same. So I'm going to be prepared for not having a regular schedule. So yeah, sorry, kind of off track. But my expectations of going into med school was that I would have a more regular schedule. And, you know, I'd be working 24-7 in that library from like, I don't know, library from 9 to 10. Um, then, you know, lectures from 11 to 12 and stuff like that. But in reality, when I actually start started medical school, I realized I have a lot more time on my hands to, you know, kind of make the most of my day. And it's it's made me realize that, you know, you really need to value the time you have in the day because there'll be some days where I, I feel like I get nothing done. I'm like, well, where did the time go? And then there are other days where I'm like, oh, you know, I've been really productive. Oh my God, I've been given 24 hours in the day, you know. It's great, you know, making the most out of it and being really productive. But yeah, I would say that my my experience with medical school has fluctuated quite a lot where you have the highs of, you know, oh great, I did well in Noski. And then the lows of, oh oh no, I, I, I don't know, I failed something or someone said something patronizing or, you know, I felt I haven't felt supported or something like that. So, um, yeah, again, that was a very long-winded way of just <laughs> of highlighting expectation versus reality with medical school. <laughs> no, I love that. I, I love that there's like so much variation between each day and that just makes it that more interesting. And like, it's just very unexpected of what people and I used to think about medical school. I just thought that the timetable was like fixed kind of like a levels it's like you have week one week two but it's just it's just completely different so I guess I have that information now okay the next question that I have actually is what's the deal with ranking like you know in medical school where you're ranked is that you know public information is it just shown to you 
So from what I understand of ranking, because we're second year students, we're not fully exposed to, you know, the, the, um, the systems that are put in place for ranking. But I do know that for first and second year, second years especially at Exeter ranking doesn't really matter when you do your exams so it ha- it holds a small percentage um, but in the overall scheme of things over the five or six years you're doing medical school it ha- holds a very insignificant weighting however once you get into years three four and five uh, ranking becomes a lot more prominent and a lot more significant in terms of your overall ranking at the end of, end of medical school and subsequently where you're being stationed for your foundation years so you might know um at the end of year five for every student, you are ranked according to, well, alongside the rest of the country. So the rest of the UK. Um, and based on those rankings, you'll get whatever position you've applied for. It's it's a very long-winded, weird process, but essentially you, you prioritize different parts of the UK you want to work at. And based on where you come in your rankings, you'll be assigned to that specific location. So I think for years three, four, and five, it will become a lot more prominent for us and it'll become a lot more significant and scary for us. But I think for now, Chloe and I just kind of, you know, try and do our best, obviously. And like I said, for any aspiring medics, you know, do your best in everything you do. It doesn't, I say it doesn't matter where you come in the ranking, but it's ob- it obviously matters. But I would say if you have done your best and you've tried your hardest and, you know, you've, you've given it all you can and, you know, you still don't get the outcome you want, at least you won't hold any regrets once those results have come out that, you know, you won't hold any hang up saying, you know, oh, what if I had done this or what if I had, what if I had done that? What I usually think of when I pl- like go into exams and I know that there'll be some set of ranking I'll I'll basically say to myself, I want to go into an exam without what ifs. So, you know, what if I did this extra hour of work? or What if I did this? Just basically try and be as prepared as possible. And um, yeah. Yeah. So in terms of um, rankings regarding exams, you actually do in universities, so like OSCEs. And um, so at, at Exeter, we do something called AMK, Applied Medical Knowledge Tests. Um to get us ready for the MLA um, in year five. Woo! Exciting times, guys. Um, yeah, so in terms of ranking in that respect, we have um, our results posted to us, our personal results, and it shows where we've come in terms of the year group, in terms of the median value, and it shows us about the quartile, um, quantile sorry, ranges, so the highest mark and the lowest mark achieved. So we do get rankings in that sense, so we know what we're doing in accordance to the year group. But this is obviously everyone's results are not publicised to everyone. Um, so we don't know, say, I had my result, I won't know how Noble did. But I'll know in general, anonymously, who had the highest, who had the lowest, and all the mathematical sort of deviations of um, standardisation, etc. So... We do get some kind of rankings in that respect, but not uh, year five and F1 and F2 rankings. Just... That was articulated much better than I <laughs> no, no, I was about to say that that seems much less like intimidating. So the rankings only really matter in the further years. So you have more time to get your shit together before it actually starts mattering. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> before it actually matters all right the next question is by someone who asked does anyone actually attend lectures and do they keep track I know I know some of my medical student friends 
don't attend their lectures but that just might be me do you guys have any knowledge on that (laughs) yeah so um I'm somebody who attends all the lectures where they can so I attend regardless obviously you have one or two where you physically can't do to other things such as like appointments and that kind of stuff but um the uni does know if you have been there or if you haven't been there. So in Exeter specifically, we have attendance codes and attendance codes will be given to you at every sort of lecture and activity that you input yourself. And then the uni can keep track of your attendance and attendance matters because you can fail the year by not attending. Um, so it's a big thing. So by showing up to your lecture, you're not just learning the content, but you're also helping yourself in terms of your attendance for the year, which is really, really important. Do you find it helpful? Like, do you find lectures helpful, like, generally? Is the pace matching yours? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think, in general, overall, yeah, I would say that it's really suited to my style. Obviously, you can have one, one or two uh, moments where it's a bit like, oh, this is not really how I would personally want to learn. And that's obviously different for everyone because everyone can't cater for everyone's educational needs, which is totally understandable. But we're quite fortunate in the sense that our lectures, um, which subside, which are in accordance, sorry, with our um, in-person stuff, are all online. Um, so we can take it at any speed we want. So if you want to listen to it at two times speed, we can. If you want to listen to it at slower speeds, you can. So it's very much your learning um, style and technique and by doing them online I find them really useful because you can go back if you just want to like rehear something or if you've missed something and it's really really good but obviously in person you do get that um, interaction it's a different experience but we're quite fortunate because we do get quite a lot of in-person teaching and small groups like we said earlier they are literally the best small group teaching that is one of the best experiences at medical school, 110%. I'd imagine it's very personalised and very catered to you. Yeah, it's really, really lovely. And I even noticed a big jump when I, I'm studying in Cornwall at the moment. But last year I was in Exeter. And I found a very big difference moving from anatomy and biomed in Exeter to anatomy and biomed in Cornwall. Because our group sizes drop significantly where in Exeter you're looking at about 40 people in a session in Cornwall there's about 15 so even our big group sessions are quite small and I, I feel like that's about a third of the cohort-ish um, so even in them situations you still have that personalised touch like I know one of my lecturers has been trying recently to learn everybody's names so that he can address everyone with their name and so far, he's doing very, very well. So, well done. Ooh. Oh, bless him. <laughs> really good. So, I think, yeah, per- small groups, personalisation, definitely. But even on a larger scale, it can help as well. So, yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so, piggybacking off of Chloe, you might have noticed I started laughing when you asked about the attendance question because... <laughs> I was guilty in first year and I'm going to be completely open um, and honest about this, but sometimes um, 
if I felt like I could do the content on my own, this isn't good and I don't encourage this at all, but if I felt like I could do the content on my own, I would stay at home and do it instead of going in. And that's not a good thing to do because one, it means that you don't get that face-to-face interaction with the professors, which is really important. And the content is hard. So if you do have any questions or even asking your peers as well while you're doing the content, um, it's always beneficial to actually, you know, attend and be there in person. And also... I would say it is a mindset that you can go into when you attend these lectures, which I found really beneficial for my mental health. And especially when it came to that feeling of isolation in medical school. I I know in first year, I suffered a lot from, I would say, a lot of isolation socially. There would be days where, you know, I would lock myself in my room. And I found that going into lectures in person put me back into that mindset of you know I'm a medical student I'm here for a reason um, my family's paying all this money for me to be here you know sort yourself out and just attend these lectures because they're useful and they're there for a reason so in second year I've taken my attendance a lot a lot more seriously and even when I can't even when I can't be there in person I will try my hardest to be online like Chloe said in-person group settings so things like PBL and PDG and stuff like that is so so invaluable when it comes to your your interpersonal skills as well when interacting with your peers and explaining things to other people I know both of you probably heard that have heard of that age-old studying technique where if you can teach it to another person you know the content well enough Mm-hmm. And with these small group settings, you're able to do that and you're able to explain your answer and explain your reasoning and explain your research, which you wouldn't be able to do if you were on your own. And, you know, big, and if you were a bit of a recluse and just doing all of your work on your own in your room. So even when I feel like, you know, I, I, I physically can't go into the building, I will always email my professor saying, can I join online? Is there any way I can still engage with the work, even if I'm not physically in the building? So yeah, I would say, long story short, some people don't attend <laughs> their lectures, but I would say the most important thing is kind of getting to the reason why you're not attending your lectures and also trying to deal with that as soon as possible. For me personally, like I said, it was a more of a mental state thing you know was I mentally in the right mindset to go into my lecture theater and then you know once I actually got in there I managed to solve the problem um and I also would recommend talking to your professors as well um sorry it's a bit of a tangent but this is really important if you do feel like you're struggling with the content or you're struggling with the atmosphere in like for example Chloe mentioned LSRC so I'm an extra right now so obviously we have quite a few people in our LSRC groups so like Chloe said we have 40 50 people in one room at the same time and that's really daunting for some people if they do have questions and they can't voice them out even if you just wait until the end of the lecture and just say to your professor you know I really want to ask you these questions but I was really nervous to do it in front of a bunch of people they're more than happy to talk to you and being there in person just has that added advantage of you're readily like you can readily access these professors rather than via email or digitally but yeah (laughs) that's wonderful so you get that you really get that opportunity at the end of the lecture to ask your lecturers any questions that you have I personally know that I want to do some sort of research so do you think it would be possible to go like after the lecture to ask about oh do you have any unfinished research that I can just pop on and take on for myself I would say um, my piece of advice for research um, would be trying to get involved in the programs that are um, advertised by the university. So this year I'm 
hopefully fingers crossed um, getting involved in some diabetic research um, and that's with the Inspire program so if any aspiring medics want to get straight involved get involved straight into um, research sorry I phrased that wrong I would recommend the Inspire program and yes like you said at the end professors are doing all sorts of research and <laughs> Chloe knows Tim Harrower is doing like 30 different <laughs> projects, um, research programs. So if you do just ask them, you know, I'm really interested. I'm sure they'll be more than happy to help. Yeah, I just totally agree. Either, yeah, the Inspire program is something which Exeter does. And I'm sure other medical schools do that or something similar. And personally, I haven't really got involved in much of research um, so far at medical school. But from what I've heard, it's a very good program. And again, just asking people, you can just genuinely email um, a lecturer, perhaps you've watched one of their lectures and think, oh, they've mentioned research. And to contact them if you want to know more about their research, well, go for it if you've got their email and, yeah, see what they say. And the thing is, don't be put off by doing it either. If they come back to you and say no, at least you tried. And if they come back and say yes, well, well done. But it's always worth a try and you never know the outcome. So it may as well have a go. I love that. I was just going to um, add briefly, you can always start your own research projects as well. It's like um, you do need quite a bit of experience in terms of, you know, writing these papers out and everything. But obviously the professors are there to help you. But like if you have a topic that you're really interested in or you really want to um, research, you can always just get a team of students who are potentially in older year groups as well and do it that way. Have you had any support, like any mentors when you were in first year or second year? Well, we have medic families, which they Ooh. kind of act as um, support systems, don't they? Well, it's very hit or miss. <laughs> it's very hit or miss. Um, you can get really good medic parents. Um, so I think, Chloe, you're a medic mum as well, right? Or... No, I'm not. No. Oh, okay. no. Um, I'm a medic mum with one of my friends. Um and we try and give explain a little bit to our audience about what uh, medic families are essentially little groups consisting of first years and then older years um so your first years are your medic children and then the medic parents or the medic aunties or whatever you want to call them are the older years second years third years fourth years fifth years Aww. who are essentially mentors and points of call for the first years if they have any questions about anything it's very cute it's a, it's a cute little tradition we have in exeter i'm sure loads of universities have it but you know you have a little wedding you know you meet your children it's great it's it's awesome <laughs> but yeah those i had an amazing medic um, mother last year and she you know she provided me with all the information that was necessary for exams you know she gave top tips on how to tackle oskies how to do ssus she she would always link resources that she's used and um yeah she was an amazing medic mum and yeah <laughs> your experiences so, yeah. chloe <laughs> Yeah, so this is actually one of the ways that me and Arbel actually met because we were in the same medic family last year. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's a great support network. I know when I moved first to um, uni last year, I did a medic family event with the, the parents, and it was great. It was great to just get to know older medics because sometimes it's a bit like when you're in year seven in high school, it's a bit like, ooh, these. These probably don't want to bother with the young people of, uh, of you know, of the generations in terms of medical school. And it's really nice to get involved with older medics because when they're in year four, year five, 
and you're in year one and two, it's quite inspiring to see how they've progressed throughout the same medical school. And it's really, really good for you as well because you get to see how you can work on your technique and your um, persona, shall we say. And, yeah, I think medic families are really, really good. And just a shout-out to our medic mum, one of our medic mums, who have recently just won a GMC professionalism um, video. Um, so shout-out to her. It's amazing. Go and have a look on the GMC uh, Instagram. It's really, really good. Just, yeah, it's a really good support network, and I would recommend getting involved. I'm in a, a medic family this year, um, and I was last year, so it's always worth and it's free. So it's may as well get involved. Love that. Speaking about the GMC, um, Nabo, do you remember speaking about the BMA and what they're currently undergoing, what the controversies are? <laughs> I wasn't aware about this, but could you just tell our viewers um, a little bit about what the BMA are supposed to do, what they are doing and what's going on? Yeah, so we talked about this a few weeks ago, and um, obviously things have changed since then. So essentially, there are there is going to be a ballot uh, for strike action amongst uh, junior doctors in January, and this is uh, backed by the BMA. So um, beforehand, you know, there was a little bit of criticism of the BMA, um, but now that they've, you know, they fully said, you know, we really want to get involved. So they are backing junior doctors because uh, there has been quite there have been quite a few pay cuts uh since 2008 from what i remember um there's been a 30 percent pay cut um since 2007 and essentially junior doctors um are well balloting to strike now so if the majority rules so majority votes yes we want to strike then there will be a few strikes um in the coming year but if the majority says no then there won't be any strikes however the bma will promote continual action for um better working conditions and better pay for junior doctors um and yeah not to get too political but yeah we it's our role as medical students i would say and even aspiring medics to become aware of these these med- medico political issues and things like strike action are really important to become educated on because you know it's something that will affect us in the future as well um you know we're hopefully going to be doctors in the future and junior doctors at some point down the line and we would expect people to support us so it's our role as well to support people who are going for strike action yeah for more information about that I would definitely suggest visiting the BMA website and just becoming educated and and hopefully just you know starting conversations with people about what's going on um yeah (laughs) yeah I just wanted to add on to that. So BMA, for anyone listening who doesn't know what it stands for, is the British Medical Association. And majority, if not all, of medical students are members of the BMA. Um, And it's an organisation that supports people in the profession, basically. Um, And they give you free resources, they do events. Um, and even in medical school, we have BMA reps who represent um, our school at BMA meetings and things that are going on within the BMA um, at the moment. And that's really useful because you get to understand what's actually happening in the medical world outside of your medical school. And it's really, really important. And the BMA do a lot of things in terms of like the strike in action, but also in terms of mental health and how to, you know, cope being a professional in the NHS and private work, etc. 
So it's a really good thing to look into if you're interested in medicine. Okay, just to both of you, um, as a follow-up question, is there anything that aspiring medics and medical students can do um, in order to support the junior doctors? Yeah, so um, (laughs) I recently created a post for the Very Junior Doctors Instagram account, um, essentially outlining what medical students can do to help junior doctors because we're not allowed to vote because we're not employed or under any contract. So I would say just raise awareness, really. A lot of campaigning is about raising awareness. So hopefully it trickles up, well, not trickles up, but it rises up to people who can actually make a difference. I would say, you know, read up about it on the BMA website, repost things you see on social media, because as we know, the power of social media is huge, especially within this day and age. You know, start conversations with your professors about these things, start conversations with other medical students, as well as, you know, as well as raising awareness about strike action, you're also becoming aware of the role of the BMA and its relationship with your me- with medical professionals and the role of the NHS as well and the government. So you can learn a lot of lot of things about different dynamics between you know government officials, between the BMA, so organisations like the BMA and institutions like universities, and then the people who attend those institutions like medical students. So it's a really interesting topic that people should really you know, look up and get involved with. And um, yeah, that's what I would say. Just, you know, raise awareness, start conversations and just uh, keep up to date on any updates that are happening with this case. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose the best way to do that is just have a look online, I suppose, social media, just have a look online on the BMA. Um, and just generally just having a look online to see what's happening in the world because especially if you're applying for medicine this time around or next time around etc it's something that you could add in your interviews as well something that you're genuinely interested in maybe so it's always worth being educated and raising awareness and supporting our uh, junior doctors okay that's all the questions that I have today (laughs) It's been such a pleasure and such a privilege to have you both on my platform. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, make sure to follow at Very Junior Doctors on Instagram. That's very underscore junior underscore doctors. I'll also link their podcast in the description below. We recorded an episode on what I wish I knew before I took a gap year. So make sure to check that out as well. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Medic Mornings for more Q&As. And thank you so much for joining us today. Bye bye.